Hi everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and it is our Educators Podcast. I'm delighted to have Dr. Sarah Zakonov, who's here with us. She is a classroom teacher and also faculty with the University of San Francisco. Hi Sarah. Hello. Delighted to have you with us. Why don't you share with us about your role or roles that you have right now and what you do? Very good. I have been... Um well, over the years, I've served in different roles in schools. Um, about 25 years ago, I started as a, an educational technology support teacher in, um, in schools, and I served in that role for about 16 years, over, um, over uh, 16 years. And uh, about 10 years ago, right as I was finishing my doctorate, actually, I did my doctorate during all that work. And uh, when I was finishing my doctorate, I was placed back in the classroom due to budget cuts. And what I discovered was I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and of course, it was very convenient for me and my family. So um, I, I just loved the, the interesting part when I reflect on it is that I've actually been able to um, put in action the um, some of the things that I learned in my research because my research was actually a case study research about the professional learning communities model of ongoing staff development sort of creating sustainable change in schools uh, by um, by having a more of a shared leadership model um, and uh, I've actually been able to live that in my work for the past 10 years since I finished my doctorate. So I feel pretty, I feel pretty confident now that I know what I'm talking about when I, <laughs> when I, when I talk about professional learning communities and collaboration in schools and uh, how, how teachers can be trusted uh, if they're given the right structures to guide their own professional development is what I would, that's how I would summarize it. <laughs> So do you think that on the whole teachers are not trusted? I think sometimes, I don't think it's intentional that um, they don't feel trusted or are not trusted, but I feel like there's, a, there's an emphasis on um, school leaders feeling like they need to be in charge and they need to tell teachers what to do. And I would like, I believe, and personally, uh, from my experience, that uh, teachers are more likely to grow in their practice uh, when they come up with the questions, when they are allowed to um, develop their own questions to research, um, and they're able to use what they know about their students. And so I, when I say they are not trusted, I mean, um, if there's too much top-down leadership uh, I feel like um, teachers feel like they're not trusted and aren't able to, I don't think they're able to do their best work. Okay. And you talked about sustainable development. What would be some of the hallmarks or some of the building blocks of sustainable development in a school environment? Uh, what I would say is, um, so the goal would be um, not to simply put in place when there's a new principal to put in place their favorite programs um, and bombard people with something new uh, when perhaps they still feel like they're perfecting what they had learned in the past. 
Um, so by sustainable, I feel like, again, when teachers are allowed to sort of come up with the questions. I'll give an example from my 10 years here back at a school here in my local community. Uh, as a teacher, um, we wanted to build students' writing skills. And we serve a population of a, a large number of uh, Latino extraction, English language learner children and it's a kindergarten through fifth grade school and we really wanted to develop their writing and we spent a lot of time over the course of a year trying to figure out how to build their writing skills and we different people did research and we came around to the realization that they also need they first needed to develop their oral language skills in English before their writing skills would be able to develop. And so instead of focusing on writing, we went, we better look at oral language first. So we actually spent a few years looking at strategies for developing oral language in the students, and then eventually came back around to writing. Uh, but first we focused on their oral language. So it's an example of teachers taking the time and administrators guiding their work rather than dictating, we're going to use this program and it's going to be great. You're going to love it. <laughs> because I feel, and another thing would be, will teachers love it? Will we love it? <laughs> we probably won't love it unless we feel like, you know, we had some part in choosing it. And I feel like my district has come so far in um, listening to teachers and they've actually realized now that the, there's a lot of research that I've heard about. I haven't read it myself anymore, but that sure enough in professional development, teachers need an opportunity to come up with the questions and also to have time to figure out how they're going to implement rather than just uh, having a, an in-service where you're talked to for eight hours, spend four hours talking and four hours planning how you're going to actually implement it in your classroom. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> That's more sustainable to me. That's what I mean by sustainable. In your experience, would yes. you say that when new leaders do come into a school, that there is suddenly a flurry of activity in implementing new things? I, that's been my experience. Um, I, it's, it takes time. I have definitely experienced that in my career where a new principal arrives and they have or even a new uh, teacher who is highly respected um, and suddenly there are all these new programs. And maybe two, when I look back now, two years later, I love them too. But at the time, it feels like very overwhelming. And so finding ways to, I don't know, it, it works out in the end. It worked out in the end. They were good programs, I do agree now. But it, it felt very overwhelming. And uh, I don't know how, how well it have benefited those students that first year <laughs> when the teachers were, were stressed <laughs> out completely. But in the end, it worked out. But it, it might have been more. And now I wonder, now we have another new principal coming in this year. I'm curious if some of those programs will continue. So mm. we'll see. I think this is interesting to talk to people who have been in education for some time and you've seen be. different leaders come and go. 
and you can see that obviously when a new person comes into an organization they want to make their mark and add value because they've been hired to do this job but then your example of the literacy development saying yes we want to make an impact in this area but actually stepping back and being thoughtful and saying what needs to come first to make that be successful and having a bit of a longer term approach and investing a couple of years into those building blocks that's actually unusual when a new leader would come in to think a bit longer term would you say that's your experience as well i would definitely say that's been my experience and i believe at the time we did that um, there was a different model in place where our principal had actually been with us for quite a while and she was being coached uh, by uh, i think it was the equity the national equity project they called it and so we were actually receiving not only coaching for the teachers and the professional learning communities we have but the principal herself was also getting coaching so on how to build the school over time and be more sustainable so sometimes it takes a, a coach and an outside person who can see when you're in the school microcosm it's harder to see um, what you need to do next i guess um, so those can be beneficial those relationships with coaches if you could summarize your your doctoral research and your findings down to two or three light bulbs light bulb moments what would you say stood out to you well um it's interesting because i studied um i studied the uh the professional learning communities in two of our schools here in uh, Santa Rafael, California. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but we, I looked at, I did case studies of two schools. I wanted to know how professional development, uh, professional learning communities were being implemented and how those people saw that. And my goal was to also learn how instructional technologies, or I should just say communication technologies, um, could be used to enhance the work. And the interesting thing, I was just re-looking at it today, my research was done just before Google Docs became interactive, where I was like, oh, they bought it that year, wow, you know? So I, I was excited. I, my findings were so basic, and they just seem so obvious to me even now, but I still wonder how many of them have been implemented. Basically, the idea that Professional learning communities means you have a group of four, three or four teachers at a grade level working together to um, improve instruction. And they need to communicate, they need to meet, they need to reflect, and they need to determine what they want to do. They choose assessments to give all their kids, and then they look at the results so it's a very time-consuming process in a system that's already, where teachers are already uh, so busy. So I wanted to see if instructional technology, I actually keep saying instructional technologies, but really it was commun communication technologies, if they could be used to support that work. And so I feel like uh, we have grown, we definitely, um, work collaboratively now. We use Google Drive to share resources um, and create resources. Um, and of course, 
with COVID-19, suddenly video chat technology has, I, if, if there's a silver lining, it's that, oh good, people will finally begin using these resources we have for collaboration um, more. Um, so I, I don't know how to, can, how, if that's definitely not a nutshell, but um, just the idea that teachers can collaborate, but it's very hard because of time and, um, and they need to have time and things like email were just becoming, believe it or not, were really just almost forced on teachers about 15 years ago. I kind of felt like I had to walk around my school with a bulletproof vest because I was the one telling them they had to use email. And, um, and, uh, woo. so that was intense. But then of course a year later they loved me because they didn't have as many staff meetings. You know, it was like, Oh wait, that's a lot of minutia that can just come to me via email. So they, be, they came to love it. Once a principal could cancel a staff meeting, so it's been a slow go. Um, I feel like we're about 30 years behind still, but um, we definitely share resources uh, using technology now. I would say assessment is a place where I see we could still use work. And my concern there is the programs that I've seen for assessment and data collection, they're pretty clunky. I mean, the ones I've seen, I, it's been a while since I bothered to look, but we tend to find that just good old paper, and let's all look at samples of student work, it, sent, it feels, it may not be true, but it feels easier to us still. So that was a very long nutshell. Sorry about that. <laughs> so in our conversation, you've mentioned about um, sustainable change needing yes. to take a more of a long-term view. Also about teacher professional development and teachers can actually be trusted to identify their needs and drive those forward and maybe even identify the, the programs or the learning opportunities that they could be enrolled into. And you also talked about the results of your research where it seems simple, but even in my recent experience, we don't see groups of three or four teachers put together with a focus on improving instruction and having those key components of communication reflection, determining what they're gonna do about it, your own choice, then reviewing and looking at the results. That whole process often seems to be absent. It's still a, we'll go in and we'll do a workshop or we'll attend a seminar, seminar or, or webinar, and then that's it. There's no real feedback into the organization. So I think it's actually really worth Sarah, people remembering that, that your research shows that we've been talking about it for 20 odd years, you know, yes. the professional learning communities. I think it's a really key takeaway. Sarah, I'd love to ask you just as we wrap up, for someone who's Please. aspiring to be a leader in an educational environment, whether it's K-12 or higher ed, what would you say is are one or two or three experiences or learnings they need to seek out on that journey? So we're talking about people who want to be in educational leadership, correct? Yes. Um, well, I would say um, build relationships. Um, if you're in a school environment, really take time to get to know um, your staff, get to know their strengths, um, get to know their passions, and um, take advantage of um, teachers as leaders. I mean, we are 
teachers are natural leaders in the classroom. They have to be leaders. And I think the more you can listen to teachers, um, you'll find that they will rise. In my experience, they will rise to the challenge. I know there's lots of talk about teachers being grouchy and grumpy and getting too old. That would be me. Two years, two more years. <laughs> but I'm not grumpy, I swear. <laughs> Ask me, what can I help with? Uh, a lot of us are just, you know, maybe we feel like we haven't been heard. And um, so listen, build relationships, take the time to do that. Um, but also provide structure and feel free, you know, feel like it's okay to create structures uh, for teachers to work within. Um, for example, I was thinking about a, a cultural shift that happened about 15 years ago in our district. It, it just became, it's like for about a year, there was just a rule that at staff meeting, now maybe the other people do this too, at staff meetings you don't bring like work to grade. You know, it's, I mean, in any movie about a school staff meeting, you see teachers grading instead of listening. And about 15 years ago, there was just this cultural shift where people agreed, oh, the other thing we do is we establish norms and we allow the teachers as a group to determine those norms. Like we agree that we want to be able to express our opinion, but we'll do it in a nice way. And um, we will be aware of patterns of participation, um, which means uh, it, like I used to be a person who's always the first one talking and I've learned to step back <laughs> and listen to others. So I mean, be, feel free to set some rules but have the teachers help you set the rules. I mean, and it's similar to what I do in my classroom now. I set, I have the kids help me determine what those norms are going to be in our classroom. Like what kind of, what do you want to feel like in our classroom? What do you need to do to make sure other people feel that way? So having people trust people and build relationships and, you know, create a community that's uh, respectful. That makes sense. You said four <laughs> things, build relationships, take Good advantage on. of teachers as leaders, uh, listen to teachers to ensure they know that they're heard, and then create structures or culture and norms in a school. Yeah. I think that's really valuable. Dr. Sarah, um, I want to thank you for sharing your experiences and your wisdom. Someone who's been in the profession for a long time and is now still in the classroom, that's exceptional to hear from you and someone who's um, completed a terminal degree as well and done your, your doctorate. I think it's really valuable to get your experiences and your wisdom. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Craig.